0: Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast. I'm throwing some basketball here too later in the show. Um, But we got plenty to talk about since our last episode a week ago. Uh, We got transfer portal, commitments and visits to recap, targets to talk about, all star games to talk about. So, plenty to discuss here with. Gabby Rutia. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at Torres Lionel one the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs.
2: This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked-up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at midwaysports.com. All right, we are back
0: again. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Your support means the world to us. Uh, Gabby, let's start here with with, uh, good news that I think deserves to be celebrated. and that is Miami landing a commitment from offensive lineman, Matt Lee, who is a transfer from UCF, Matt Lee plays center, which, you know, I think as we were projecting future offensive line or the 2023 best five offensive line, um, you know, including JV Cohen, including the, the freshmen, Samson Okunlola and Francis Maui Goa, including, including Inez Cooper. Etc. cetera, et cetera. Zion Nelson. I think center was a spot that was going to be hard to project because, you know, look, Ja'Kai Clark does return. Um, but there, you know, I think it's fair to say that was a spot that we felt like could be upgraded from a potential standpoint with Ja'Kai Clark. To me, laning a guy like Matt Lee addresses that need.
2: Yeah, I think getting Matt Lee is a really big deal. Uh, You're just, I mean, I I think the offensive line needed to be rebuilt, David. I think everyone who watched Miami could see that. I think a lot of what these guys want to do starts up front. And I mean, I love, I mean, I love the addition. A a veteran ball snapper, uh, he graded out extremely well, was a 90.6 pass protector, an 80.6 run blocker. I don't think Ja'Kai Clark, and this is per Pro Football Focus, I don't think Ja'Kai Clark, cracked 60 in either one of those categories so I think this is just a significant significant improvement uh, you know in turn ter- uh, you know at the center position he was kind of like you know a leader for that UCF offensive line I think he played close to 3,000 snaps over the course of his career I think this is exactly what the doctor ordered for Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal because they needed. I think they just needed some more veteran leadership I think you get that with JV and Cohen who's again a 25 game starter for the Crimson Tide and now Matt Lee, who has played just a ton of football up front. And then you surround him with the guys that you mentioned And I mean, I think this, I think if you're a Miami fan, you should be really, really excited about all this.
0: Yeah. He grades out. You mentioned his grades. He Grades out as the third best center in the country uh, for all of college football this past year, third best pass blocking grade. He only allowed four pressures and zero sacks on the year. Eighth best run blocking center in the country as well. So he gets it done in both phases you mentioned Ja'Kai Clark. Also, too, Jonathan Dennis took some snaps at center in 2022 before he went down with an injury. As Miami's top two centers, they combined to allow 17 pressures and one sack. And you mentioned their grades. They're both, you know, one graded out as a 66, one graded out as a 58 run blocking grade, pass blocking, one graded out as a 62 other graded out as a 57. So, uh, you mentioned it, this is a tremendous upgrade. Um, what do you like most about this new look offensive line? Um, because I think we feel good about Miami has their center. Miami has a guard and JV and Cohen feel good about other spots as well, but just in general, what do you like most from a big picture standpoint about this new 2023 offensive line?
2: Yeah, I just think the overall talent, like I think like the floor is is significantly higher. Obviously the ceiling is too. But I mean, I just I, I like the stability that this brings up front. Uh, you know, I think a lot of what again, what they want to do, it starts with the protection and all that. And you watch college football across the country, what all the major football programs are doing. And a lot of these guys have really, really strong offensive lines. And again, I think when you just factor in you know these two freshmen francis mawagoa samson Akanlola. i think that you know these guys are going to expect both of them to to play whether it's start or yeah. be a part of the rotation um you know you kind of have jv and cohen and, and jalen rivers who are guys that play guard they're really excited about Inez cooper matthew mccoy kind of coming along you get zion nelson back i think overall the group is just deeper and even let's say even at center right david like i mean if matt lee's you know has has to come off the field i mean jakai clark instead of or jonathan dennis instead of those guys having to be relied on you know for a lot i right. mean maybe they can just kind of filter in be more depth pieces i think uh overall this is just kind of the way it needs to look i don't think the you know rebuild of this offensive line is complete because i think you need to stack classes of course but this is the this is the way that you kind of build that foundation of what the offense looks like and we see the way the offense is structured and the way that Mario Cristobal wants to do it right like we talked we we've talked about it a million times like this is what they want it to look like on offense it's kind of power spread look and you need to have a strong offensive line um to kind of run what they want to run so i think it helps the offense in every aspect i think it just gives a quarterback more time i think it obviously provides better run run blocking support for for the tailbacks a group that should be you know pretty good with some of these guys coming back and and Mark Fletcher who I think could be an instant contributor and I think it hopefully just alleviates some burden from really everyone around and just kind of makes the offense as a whole just kind of take that next step forward.
0: Yeah, your your offense is only going to operate as well as the offensive line. And so I think how well your offensive line plays for the most part establishes the floor of what your offense can be. Um and you know, if, if I'm going to pick what I like most about this new look offensive line, I would go with, I love that they have a legit center now. Um, I just think that's a big deal. And it allows the rest of the offensive line to fill in, slot in, however they want to do that. Um, I also think too, I mean, Javion Cohen is a significant upgrade as well. I think you could argue Miami has landed the top two interior offensive linemen in the transfer portal this cycle Javion Cohen again transfer from Alabama played 549 snaps last year for Bama allowed 6 pressures and 0 sacks you compare those numbers to Miami's top 2 right guards last year which were which was uh, Justice Oluwashone and Inez Cooper they com- they combined to play 681 snaps and they allowed 24 pressures and 5 sacks so No matter how you slice it, adding Javion Cohen is a significant upgrade as well. You mentioned, you know, they still got guys that have potential NFL chances down the road in Zion Nelson and Jalen Rivers. That's big for the depth. I think Inez Cooper and Matthew McCoy have talent, like you mentioned. I don't know how the starting five will shake out, but I do know it is going to be better. And I feel especially firm in that stance from a run blocking standpoint i think the run game is going to be much improved with this group of offensive linemen um and you know we talk about the impact of an offensive line um and i think in general this this type of offensive line uh can help make a quarterback look so much better so looks like tyler van dyke's coming back right um all indications are he will be the starting quarterback again in 2023. Um, And the best way I can kind of show how a good offensive line can help a quarterback is by a couple of guys that transferred to the Pac-12 this year um, in Bo Nix at Oregon and Michael Penix at Washington. So year over year, Bo Nix went from playing behind the number 48, this is according to Pro Football Focus's grades, the number 48 pass-blocking offensive line at Auburn to the number four pass-blocking offensive line at Oregon. And this past year at Oregon, Nick's threw for 3,500 yards, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions. As a three-year starter at Auburn, he never threw for more than 2,600 yards, never threw more than 17 touchdowns in a single season significant jumps. Yes, there are reasons. There's nuance reasons in terms of schemes and all that, but I think the biggest reason why Knicks took that big jump was because he had plenty of time to operate behind an excellent Oregon offensive line, which by the way, Mario Cristobal left behind. Uh, Michael Penix threw for 4,641 yards this year at Washington, 31 touchdowns and eight interceptions. Wow. Completing 65% of his passes. That's thrown for 357 yards a game. Um, as a starter at Indiana, he was a part-time starter, dealt with some injuries, et cetera, but his best year was in 2020 there. Threw for 274 yards per game uh at Indiana. So the Washington offensive line, um, I believe ranked fifth in pass blocking this year. Uh that Indiana offensive line in 2020 ranked 124th in the country. So, you know, these offensive lines help the quarterbacks operate. I think you can also look at Tyler Van Dyke, right? In 2021, Miami's pass blocking actually graded out 6th best in the country according to Pro Football Focus. In 2022, the pass blocking graded out to number 58 overall. Um so all this is to say, look, we celebrate landing game change. You know, we we don't celebrate landing game changing offensive linemen like we do other positions, uh, and I think we should. If we if Miami landed the equivalent of a Matt Lee or a Javian Cohen in the portal, and signed the equivalent of Samson Okunlola and Francis Maui Goa at wide receiver, we'd all be losing our minds because. Receivers are exciting, fun position. I get it. Fantasy football positions, etc. cetera. Um, Miami got those type of players on the offensive line. And it is going to make the offense better um, year over year, just that factor alone. So all this is to say, let's be excited about the offensive line. Matt Lee, huge monster addition. Javian Cohen, monster addition. Landing these freshmen, Samson and Francis huge, huge, huge. So, um, I am excited about what the offense will look like, even though I get it. Offensive linemen don't get the fanfare that other positions on the offense get.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think if you're talking to people like in the building, I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely thrilled about what they've been able to do here. Obviously again, jobs not finished, but I think again, you, you met, you can only measure things year over year, right. Compared to when they got here, this time last year, to where the offensive lines looking now. I mean, people are extremely, extremely, uh, you know, eager to kind of get their hands on these kids. And look, I mean, you kind of got to build it from the inside out. That's, I think, what they kind of talked about. That's what what they real preached. teams do, right? They, you know, it starts in the trenches. And I think every time you hear Mario Cristobal talk, really since that first press conference he ever had, um, David, it seems like he's kind of, you know, been focused on building the trenches. I think that they've done a good job here especially on the offensive line, which is his specialty, uh, getting the type of talent and, uh, you know, the veteran leadership that they need. And, yeah, I, I love, like, the analogy you used. If we were talking about a JV and Cohen-level offensive line, uh, a JV Cohen-level wide receiver or something like our cornerback or something like that, people would be losing it. But, uh, you know, we should definitely, definitely be celebrating Matt Lee and, and JV and Cohen the way that we would celebrate anything like that because uh, this is this is the recipe for how they want to do it. And uh, again, you have to be excited. I mean, you highlighted that Oregon offensive line, the way that they were able to build it. I, I think the offensive line is in good hands. And this is really just the very beginning of what should be a, you know, a, a good, strong unit for the foreseeable future, hopefully. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new
0: Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Moving on to other transfer notes. Uh, Daryl Jackson, (laughs) describe just what, you know, as best as you can. It just seems like a lot of flip-flopping. Yeah, I think, too, there's some um, leveraging. I think, you know, he wanted to see how much money he could really get from Florida State. Anyways, go ahead. Describe the situation.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so I get a call, I don't know, I guess it's Thursday night, like late, th- Like I guess the Thursday evening that, you know, that Daryl Jackson's exploring coming back to Miami. I'm just like, okay, what does that even look like right now? He's been committed to Florida state. Um, I do think that there was maybe some concern about a waiver and how he's going to get it and stuff like that, because apparently you need, you know, of course it, it, it's all these different types of things. And, And again, I don't really know like the intricacies of it. I just know that he definitely certainly explored the, the, you know, coming back to Miami. I know he was in Miami this weekend. Um, You know, just talking to people familiar with the situation on what is it, I guess Sunday morning. I think there were people around the program that thought that it was nearly a done deal that he was coming back. Like, you know, I think they were kind of dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Um, and then everything just kind of changed at some point. He gets in his car, he drives back up. He spends the whole day driving back up to Tallahassee and, uh, you know, decide, I guess he enrolls in classes at Florida state here on Monday. Uh, it was a complete back and forth. It was uh, one of the like strangest deals I've had to experience just because, you know, really the way he left was kind of, you know, iffy. he uh, immediately commits to, you know, your in-state rival and then, couple weeks pass, and then it's kind of like, okay, like, are you going to come back? Are you not? And then he just ends up back with Florida state now. So, um, best I understand it. That's pretty much it. I, I just know that he was maybe trying to come back, almost came back, made the decision last minute pivot to kind of go back up to Florida state and, and kind of follow through with that initial commitment. I don't know exactly what that looks like from this point on, um, but he is in Tallahassee, and he's enrolled in classes at Florida State University. So, best of luck to him.
0: Yeah, he's a good player, and so Florida State's getting a good player. Um, you know, I know for me, and look, if he wanted to come come back, of course you take him back. So I'm not advocating that. But I know for me, and maybe I'm too old school with this in the transfer portal era, but I'm not here for like if a guy leaves, commits to your biggest rival, and then wants to come back. I'm not here for necessarily taking them back. Uh, But again, that might be a bit outdated type of thinking in this transfer portal era, where, you know, this type of stuff might just be more commonplace in general here in the years to come. Uh, But anyways, best elected Daryl Jackson, he's a good player. He's an NFL level player. So, uh, you know, Good luck to him. Uh, so, where does Miami turn now, right, at defensive tackle? Because it is a position of need, um, and they did host a couple of defensive tackles over the weekend, and sounds like they're trending, in particular, for one. Gabby, tell us about him.
2: Yeah, I think Miami's in a good spot to to land Purdue tra- defensive line transfer Branson Dean. Um, he's played a lot of ball for the for the Boilermakers. Um, I think six foot three, 280 pounder, maybe more of an interior pass rusher, or just maybe just have, maybe he's just like more, I don't know, versed in in that aspect. I don't think he's more of a run stuffer. He's not that 300 plus pound body type, but uh, he's a really good player for a a team that represented the big 10 West in, in the conference championship game. And uh, I know that there's people in that part of the country that, you know, are really excited about him that thought he was a really, really good player. And if Miami's able to get their hands on him, I think that, you know, that's one step closer to, you know, filling in some of the gaps. One of them left by Daryl Jackson. You already got one defensive line transfer and Thomas Gore in the portal. You might need to add one more or so. Uh, Dean would be a, a, a positive step forward there, but I think uh, you could probably still find another. But yeah, I think that's a positive development here that's uh, kind of coming around on, on Monday.
0: Yeah, the thing that stands out about him, like you mentioned, is his pass rushing. And uh, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, 34 pressures in 2022, which is a monster number for any defensive lineman, but especially for defensive tackles um, at the Power Five level. He ranked as this, you know, interior defensive lineman, the sixth most most pressures in the country, uh, narrowly trailing Clemson's Tyler Davis, and ranking uh, just above Tyler Davis is Kalijah Cansey at Pitt. Um, who had 47 pressures. Uh, but anyways, Dean is a guy that can pressure the quarterback. You can never have too many of those guys. And, uh, you know, he's kind of like a taller version of Thomas Gore, I think. So Miami's kind of loading up on guys that can, uh, impact things on passing downs, uh, behind the line of scrimmage. So if they are able to land Dean, that'd be a nice little addition. Um, Isaiah Nichols is another defensive tackle out of Arkansas. Uh, he would be kind of more like the run stopping guy, in my opinion. If Miami was able to add him, anything, anything notable with him coming out of the weekend on your end?
2: Yeah, he took an official visit uh, to Miami over the weekend, and again, I think that he's one of those names that they that they would kind of like to add. He mentioned that he's he's more maybe the run stuffing type. Uh, he's been, he spent a long time in Fayetteville with with the Razorbacks, you know, kind of that SEC body type. And um, I haven't heard in terms of just whether he's going to pick Miami or anything like that, or if, you know, Miami's feeling really good there. I think that they're still kind of exploring their options. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where Isaiah Nichols kind of fits in right now. Uh, I do know that Dean was maybe the one of the two that they felt like they probably needed to have a little bit more. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's a one or the other type of deal, but I know that they're feeling good about, you know, where they're at with the guy that they really, really wanted. And not that's not to say they don't want Nichols or anything like that. But um, it seems like if they had to get one of the two, Dean was probably the one there. Uh I, I'm still kind of in wait and see mode with Nichols. I haven't heard anything in particular either way, uh, whether Miami should expect to to land his commitment or if he's expected to go elsewhere.
0: And then let's stay at D-Tackle in a name, I think uh, you know, Miami was planning to maybe officially visit was Justin Rogers at Kentucky. I think he's top hundred recruit at a high school. Definitely that run-stopping D-tackle, 6'3", 330. Um, productive guy, played a ton of snaps. What's going on there?
2: Yeah, um, I, I guess just in this transfer portal era, I, I think something that maybe people don't consider is just that you know these kids are leaving an institution, going to another, and some colleges maybe take classes or accept classes that maybe others don't. And I think that's a situation that Miami's kind of run into here with Justin Rogers. It seems like basic, I I, I mean, just some, I mean, it's as simple as some of those, some of those credits won't transfer or, you know, just Miami just doesn't accept some of the classes that he's taken. I'm not exactly sure you know, what like what the situation is or which classes won't transfer. But it sounds like, I mean, basically the feedback I've gotten is that, yeah, we would love to have him. Again, he might be their favorite of the bunch of any of the defensive tackles. I mean, people around the program are super, super high on Justin Rogers. I think that's maybe the defensive tackle that they wanted more than any other. But the reality is that they just, it just seems like they just can't, wouldn't be able to get him into the school. Um, I'm not sure if that'll change here. Uh, He kind of told me, Uh, Justin Rogers did when I kind of was trading messages with him over Twitter that, you know, he did reschedule the visit. I don't know if he will come down and see. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, you know, as this weekend's kind of gone on. I think he told our Auburn site that there's a couple SEC schools he's considering. Um, But yeah, uh, a a weird situation there with Justin Rogers. It's not the only prospect it's happened to. I think, uh, you know, Miami would have had a really, really good chance to get Caden Prius-Korn, who's a, a Memphis tight end. I believe he just, Excuse me. I think he just committed to Ole Miss, um, but I think Miami would have felt like they were very, very much in that recruitment until they kind of re- they ran into the same reality where it just doesn't seem like they'd be able to get in- into the school. So uh, weird, strange situations that no one really thinks about, but uh, it is a reality of what uh, the programs kind of dealing with 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 certain prospects. I'm not sure how many other schools are also dealing with that, but it does seem like uh you know there is that is just another factor of this whole transfer portal thing to consider if they're not graduates, if they're graduates, then, you know, they can move along as they please. And, you know, they can just kind of start their master's program fresh, but uh, these kind of, these kids that kind of go to school, like are in school, maybe close to graduating, but haven't yet. Uh, I mean, those, those credits needs need to transfer and Miami needs to accept them in order for them to get into the school for them to be admitted. So um, yeah, kind of unfortunate situation. Cause I think Miami would have felt pretty good about where they were at there, but just not something that seems to be in the cards right now.
0: And another uh, transfer portal visitor over the weekend, cornerback uh, Terry Roberts out of Iowa. What's what's the vibes there?
2: Yeah, um, I think Miami's in a really good spot there. Uh, Terry, I, I got on the phone with Terry Roberts at some point on Saturday of his visit, um, and he kind of told me how incredible the the visit was, really. Uh, he told me UCLA, Michigan State, Alabama were a couple other schools that were in the mix for him. Uh he but he said this Miami visit was not was unlike any other visit that he's kind of taken. Uh so I don't I I feel like Miami's probably in the best spot there. I know he spent a lot of time with Cameron Kitchens, who uh, Miami's all-American safety. And the two really just kind of hung out on Friday night, didn't go out. They said they didn't go do anything crazy. They just kind of literally sat in Cameron Kitchen's house, talked about the program, talked about the defensive scheme, talked ball, watched film together. Uh, that's kind of what he's looking for this is his uh i think he's going to be a fifth year so i think he'll just have one more year of eligibility and um you know i think he wants to make it count and it seems like miami's a really really good fit there i also got to talk with cameron kitchens uh, who was out at the raw 7 on 7 showcase we'll touch on that later and i talked to him about terry and he said that you know he was a really really cool dude who you know really just kind of enjoyed football kind of a, a like-minded uh defensive back and you know i think there is hope that uh, miami eventually adds the iowa corner
0: Yeah, I think he'd be a solid add, honestly. He doesn't have much playing experience and uh, stats and all that, but I do think he's he's respected for his athleticism and intelligence. I think he'd be a nice depth addition to the cornerback room. Um, How about any other transfers you're keeping an eye on?
2: Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I think one, David, that I kind of teased on the site is, is South Carolina edge Jordan Birch. Uh, he was like a top what 10 overall player in his class. I think it was a 2020 class. Yep. Um, it seems, I mean, he hit the portal, um, you know, he's definitely going to be one of the more sought after players. I don't think Miami was necessarily even looking for an edge rusher or anything like that. I think they feel pretty good about that room along the defensive line. But I think when, uh, Jordan Birch emerged, I think that's something that, you know, their ears perked up a little bit and there does seem to be some mutual interest there. So yep. I'm not sure what a visit looks like right now. I haven't been able to get too much on that because it seems to be a really potentially high profile uh, transfer recruitment, but I do know that Miami is in the mix there. And uh, you know, I think they're definitely going to get their opportunity to shoot their shot with the former Gamecock.
0: Yeah. Big time defensive lineman edge guy, six six two seventy five. uh this past season totaled 60 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. Pro football focus had him at 40 pressures. So uh, looks the part, produces um, big-time talent. I do think Oregon's a team to watch here. So let's see if, uh, you know, who Miami is necessarily battling for Jordan Birch. But um, like you mentioned, I do think there is kind of mutual interest there between Miami and Birch um let's talk position because there's one position group i mean look i would like it if miami could add a d tackle a run stopping d tackle specifically um but i think in particular uh one area that miami has not yet been able to fill is outside wide receiver um what's your read on that situation right now
2: yeah um (laughs) It's definitely it's definitely not ideal, David. I think we both know. I think everyone listening to this podcast knows how much outside receiver help that that this team needs. Uh, obviously, that's kind of the the like the big gaping hole in this transfer class. Uh, I think even really in the in the in the twenty twenty three recruiting class, um, I, I really think that they kind of went all in on Dante Thornton, the Oregon transfer. Uh, it seems like he might be picking Tennessee later on today. I, I think it should be, you know, I think he said at a one o'clock. So by the time you listen to this, he might have already picked school. Um, yeah. But you know, I think that that was kind of like their guy. I think they're looking for a difference maker on the outside, and they felt like Thornton was maybe the the guy who they felt like could be the most impactful. And you know, it seems like they maybe they just didn't come out on the right side of of that recruitment um so i think they still got to continue to sort out their options i think they're still kind of waiting seeing maybe crossing their fingers to see if anyone if anyone kind of emerges here over you know the next few days really i think the transfer portal is open till the 15th which is what day is that is that friday oh maybe it's it's the 18th 18th. so next wednesday miami doesn't start classes until uh, i believe the 17th and so and i think the last day to to register for classes is the 24th. So Miami has maybe a little bit more flexibility than some others in terms of getting kids, you know, potentially in the school and David, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they just have to be in the transfer portal by that time. I think that they can, if there's still some time, you know, if there's still some time left on the clock past the 18th, I think that they can still, you know, they they can still visit, they can still do all those things. And if you can get them into school, you can get them into school. So uh, I know there are a lot of universities that are starting classes like today on Monday, as we record this podcast, Uh, Miami does have a little bit more time on the clock. So um, I think it's still potentially wait and see mode to see if uh, they can find a receiver that they like in the portal here over the next, you know, let's say week and a half.
0: Yeah, let's see if they can get something done at the wire. Um, You know, I think Mario's shown the ability to do that. Uh, you know, recruiting at the high school level. So we'll see how it plays out. I don't think it's quite time to panic yet, but I do think it's worth highlighting the obvious of hopefully they can land some sort of outside receiver with proven production, um, to elevate the 2023 offense because, um, you know, right now Colby young flash a little bit, but There's not really an option that you would necessarily pound the table for and and feel great about going into the 2023 season. Um, All right, so let's talk about, Gabby, uh, the All-American Bowl. And I know you were out at a seven-on-seven, so seven-on-seven workout. So I don't know how much of this you necessarily saw, Gabby, but I I just want to give my thoughts after watching – the game and uh, you know specifically about the Miami signees um, and let's start with the five-star offensive lineman Samson Okanlola. he started at left tackle uh, which I think is notable because uh, the backup left tackle for the east was uh, Monroe Freeling who believes top 100 maybe even pushing top 50 offensive lineman committed to Georgia um, good player in his own right. I think he looked good in the game as well. But the fact that that staff started Samson, I think, tells you what they think about Samson. Um, and, and in the game, you know, I, I do think he showed impressive physicality, willingness to run block and bury guys in the run game, um, got to the second level as a run blocker, which I think shows off his impressive athleticism as an offensive lineman. You know, I do think he needs to clean up some pass protection technique stuff uh, and just, you know, play with more poise and kind of trust his technique and athleticism a little more. At times he can get a little too reachy, reachy and, uh, you know, lose his balance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I do think overall, highly impressed with what he can be um, from a development and projection standpoint. Long-term, you know, I do think he's a left tackle. Uh, but after watching him in that all American bowl, I do think, look, if Miami wants to get their five best offensive linemen on the field, and they feel like Sampson is one of the five best, but he's not quite ready from a technique standpoint to play tackle. I think he can get the job done at guard as well in the short-term immediate future, just to get your five best on the field. Um, he, he shows the physicality. He has the size. I think he measured in that week at 330 pounds. So he's been eating a lot of pancakes lately. And I do think, um, he can compete for some sort of starting job in 2023. Will he win one that's to be determined, but I think his, you know, he has the size to play inside if he needs to, of course, he'd be a plus athlete on the inside, um, And if his technique gets refined, which it will at the college level over the next nine months, I think he can definitely compete for one of those starting tackle jobs. So I was highly impressed. Did you did you watch any of it, Gabby? I don't I we haven't really discussed this. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but did you watch it at all?
2: No, I, I caught some of it when I got home from that. I think they were kind of late in the game. I don't even know. Okay. If, I don't even know how many reps Samson was taking. I saw Monroe Freeling out there more than I saw Samson. Mm-hmm. So I I honestly assume that maybe he got the start. So I kind of have to, I, I do have to watch that back. So I, I caught some of the big clips from some yeah. of the Miami guys on Twitter and stuff like that, but I definitely have, I think it's on Peacock. So should be able to just kind of rewind that tape, but yeah, looking forward to definitely getting some eyes on, on those guys.
0: Yeah, I think Samson played better once he settled into the game. So, um, and yeah, like you said, Monroe Freeling, good in his own right. His technique might be a little cleaner at this stage, um, but the body type isn't, you know, Samson's body type and athleticism and all that is is a higher level. Uh, Mark Fletcher, the running back. To me, you know, again, this is really nothing new, but it just kind of, his performance kind of validates. He's just a really good high floor running back to me. He kind of checks every box uh, you would want in a running back at like a B minus or a B level. You know, he has good size, carries his weight well, uh, good enough speed, good vision, pretty good pass catcher, good in pass protection, high intelligence level, which I do think matters. Uh, You know, there's just no real significant noticeable weakness. He had an 81 yard. Um, you know, reception for a touchdown in which he blew past a Notre Dame middle linebacker commit um, for an easy touchdown. You know, to me, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, he might be the most, com- they're different styles of backs. So I'm not necessarily making this, you know, as a comp, this statement as a comp, but to me, he might be the most complete back Miami assigned since, I don't know, Mark Walton off the top of my head because Mark Walton kind of did uh, a bunch of things well. Uh, you know, from a recent Miami perspective, I kind of think that a comp I like might be, and it's not perfect because their running styles are still slightly different but I kind of like the Mike James comparison. Uh, Mike James, you know, I think he was a running back from Miami from what 2009 to 2012, something like that Uh, went on to be, I believe a six round pick ran for like 1300 yards, six touchdowns. His final year at Miami, he ran for 621 yards and six touchdowns while also totaling 344 receiving yards. So almost hit a thousand yards, rushing and receiving. Um, and he did all that while splitting time with Duke Johnson. So uh you know, I think Mark Fletcher is just gonna be a good player. The floor is very high. What's the ceiling? I think that's to be determined. Uh, but I would definitely bet on a guy like Mark Fletcher. And then Daniel Joseph, you know, uh he got the first touch of the game for the east uh, on a little like pop pass kind of reverse thing behind the line of scrimmage um, I think it's obvious, you know, again, none of this is really new, but he will be in contention for fastest player on the team the day he arrives uh, at Coral Gables. Elite change of direction ability. Um, he did have a drop in the second quarter, uh, and he did have a touchdown run, like direct snap touchdown run in the fourth quarter. So I think you, you watch his practice clips, at uh, you know, going into that game from the week and it's pretty obvious he's definitely one of the more dynamic slot receivers in the country so uh, he's going to be a big time get also too he was the starting kick returner so uh, which I think they should have him in that role at Miami as well Um, last thing just non-Miami thing to touch on Dante Moore looks like he's going to be special and oh, yeah. uh, you know, just dropping dimes with pressure in his face, et cetera, et cetera. UCLA is gonna be fun to watch here over the next few years. So uh that's all I got on the All-American Bowl. Gabby, take us through what you learned at the raw seven on seven tryouts. Maybe just highlight one or two guys that you think uh Miami fans should know about.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, you're always looking for the next quarterback. Uh, You know, one of Miami's top quarterback targets, Michael Van Buren, he plays at Baltimore St. Francis, which is one of the nation's best programs. I mean, I think they were undefeated until they ran into IMG Academy the the final week of the season. Uh, He was out there spinning it. Uh, I think he's listed at 5'11 and a half. You know, I would definitely, you know, give him the six foot. um, You know, if, if you told me it was six feet, definitely not pushing back. Um, he's got like a sturdy build, you know, he's not like, he's kind of, he's kind of got a thick build, uh, and you know, he, he was out there ripping it. It's always good to kind of get eyes on these, on, on these dudes. Um, he, he flashed at times. I, I mean, definitely a little bit more inconsistent than his counterpart, which was, you know, five-star quarterback, Julian Sain, uh, who was, you know, again, he's an Alabama commit. I think he's pretty locked in with the tide, but we'll see, we will see what happens here. He's going to spend plenty of time in South Florida. The both of the, of them really are. Uh, so Michael Van Buren is, is one I got to see uh, his, his highs are pretty high. Like he was throwing some, they were doing some red zone stuff and he was throwing some back shoulders that honestly were probably prettier than Saiyan's. Uh So when he, when he kind of, you know, puts it on the spot, I mean, he's, he's definitely fun to watch and his wild throws definitely catch your attention. He, again, he may be a little bit more inconsistent, uh, you know, inaccurate at, t- at times with his ball. From what I understand, it's his first time playing seven on seven but still a guy that's going to be around the South Florida scene for a little bit. And again, someone Miami's definitely looking at in that class of 2024. Um, another name that I think Miami fans should definitely know on the offensive side, another out of towner, uh, top two, four, seven wide receiver, Mazel Bennett. Uh, he's going to be, you know, catching passes from Sayin and Ben Buren for that raw seven on seven team. I mean, I think he's a really smooth route runner. I think he knows how to create separation, uh, get, you know, pull away from defensive backs. He's got strong hands. And, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of checks a lot of those boxes in terms of what Miami's kind of looking for. Definitely a thicker build, not the biggest guy, maybe 5'11", uh, you know, maybe generously six foot. But uh, he can definitely move. And again, I think uh, when you're, lo- you're looking at what Miami needs to do to kind of upgrade the wide receiver room, uh, I think it's got to obviously, you know, you, you go portal, but I think they need to just start recruiting uh, some of these guys better. And Mazel Bennett seems like a guy who can get it done on the inside and, you know, maybe out wide as well. So uh Mazel Ben is definitely someone I'm excited about. And then maybe the I mean top-ranked prospect that was there Ellis Robinson, the five-star cornerback out of IMG Academy. Uh he had good things to say about the Hurricanes too. Uh he looks like the real deal. I mean I I mean at this point I, we we've watched Desmond Ricks. we've watched Cormani McLean. Uh you know, we've wa- I watched Ellis Robinson now. I mean, I feel like those guys are very, you know, in their respective classes and stuff, you know, very, very much near the top of what it looks like in terms of a cornerback Ellis has the size. He has the length. He has the, you know, the ability to kind of track down passes, get his hands on all that stuff. I mean, in and out of breaks smooth as a silk. I mean, Ellis Robinson was super impressive to watch in person. So, um, you know, going to be, I mean, Miami's going to have to battle out Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Colorado for his commitment, but uh, he looks as real deal as it kind of gets at the cornerback spot.
0: Yeah, he has long arms. Oh, what yeah. I remember of him, and um, I think he camped early, early, super in his early, high school career. Yeah, at Miami. So.
2: Yeah, so in that 2021, that was like that June first when everything like first opened back up. Uh, I remember Jacor- uh, I think it was yeah Jacory Thomas who ended up signing with Georgia, and Sherrod Colville, who's a safety that signed with Clemson both of those guys were like in the group working out with defensive back. And me and, and we were just watching this Ellis, you know, it was Ellis Robinson who was going to be like an incoming sophomore at the time. And we're just like, who the heck is this kid? Like this kid looks like, you know, yeah. just as good, if not better in terms of like movement wise than all of these kids. And of course a couple years down the road, as it typically goes, I mean, he's the, you know, number one ranked cornerback in his class and, you know, has the very best in the country going after him. So that's why those camp settings are fun. Cause now we can sit about sit back here and watch. we'll talk about how we watched Ellis Robinson when he was kind of a no name, you know, up and comer when he was really just a pup.
0: Seven on seven, seven season is upon us. We'll have more to talk about here for the 2024 class. Uh, plenty more to talk about transfer portal, et cetera. As always, Gabby has it covered at inside the U.com. Jump on board for a VIP subscription. Join the fun. Uh, good stuff, Gabby. And on the other side, uh, my colleague, Christopher Stock, and I are going to talk some hoops. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way.
2: Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things.
0: Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice-consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial, and let's take pride in our finances. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value
2: when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text STAR directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to STAR, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or
0: text STAR today at 561-573-4661. All right, we're back with my Inside the U colleague, Christopher Stock, who does an excellent job of chronicling the basketball efforts of the Miami Hurricanes uh, program. And now uh, that we are about halfway through this college basketball season, I do think it's safe to say, Chris, that this team commands the attention or should command the attention of Miami Hurricanes fans. They're currently 13-2. and four and one in conference play ranked number 16 overall in the latest AP top 25 poll that comes after a loss to Georgia tech on the road in their most recent game. Um, but just, you know, from a big picture standpoint, Chris, um, you know, we got 15 games of a sample size in terms of learning what this team is about. We're going to learn even more here as, as we get into the thick of conference play in the ACC. Um, but, but from a big picture standpoint, what do you like most about this Miami team to this point?
1: Yeah. So they're 13 and two, like you mentioned, 15 games in 15 more to go in the regular season. You know, I I think there's a couple things, a few things that stand out to me. Look, they've got some really top end guys, you know, Isaiah Wong and Jordan Miller. They're two of the best players in the ACC. And especially with Isaiah being a scoring guard, if you have a player like that, you've got a chance each and every night. So they have that. You really like those two guys, Jordan Miller with what he does, what he brings to the table on both ends of the court. But in totality of this team, it's it's this group offensively. You know, it's those two guys, but with the additions of Norchad Omir, and Nigel Pack, what they're bringing offensively to the table, the way that they're able to score at different levels and, and get different kinds of baskets, it, it, it's a very versatile group uh, offensively. They're tough to guard, you know, and they add in the other players as well. So offensively is what you like about this team. They've got the top end guys, but just kind of this well-rounded offensive team that can kind of get buckets at different levels and they push the ball in transition and do well there. And the other thing I liked about this team, and this is why I, I felt good about this team going into the season or, or felt high about him is Jim Laranega and his staff just do an excellent job of being able to navigate a, through a season. And every time I've been out of practice, this team seems to have good chemistry. They seem to enjoy playing together. They they seem to enjoy this, the whole process of it, the extra work, whatever it might be. And when you're navigating through a season, when you're trying to, you know, be a top 10 in the eight, top team in the ACC, you've got to have all that chemistry. And, and not just with what I've seen, you know, because I'm not out there every single practice, we're not able to do that. But I check in with people also and say, hey, is this team, do they get along as well as it seems, you know, do, do they have a good team chemistry and the feedback is always, yes. So I think those are the things offensively, what they're able to do, the top end guys, and it's a team that gets along well and Larry are and his staff know how to navigate a season. And, and that's a big thing when you're, when you're trying to go through a tough schedule here.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's dive into the top four players. You touched on them uh, but that really does stand out about this team. They got four really good players that in any given game can take over a game. I think in some capacity, um, they each have their own strengths and weaknesses. Um, but let's start at the top Isaiah Wong, uh, you know, any Miami fan should be aware of, of his game to this point, uh, watching him over the years. Um, this year though, he he seems to have, Taking another step forward as a veteran player, 16 points per game, four assists, four rebounds, nearly five rebounds, two steals per game, shooting 82% from the line, which I think is huge for closing out tight games, et cetera, et cetera. When you watch Isaiah this year, what what's noticeable to you in terms of how he's improved this
1: year? I think what was interesting with Isaiah coming into the year is he led the team in scoring two years ago. Not a very good team. Uh, you know, as he kind of had this breakout season, 17 points a game. Then last year he became a, the second scorer. Cam Mcgusty kind of took that leadership role last year with Mcgusty gone. I was curious if I, what Isaiah was going to be, you know, if he could just automatically get back to it. And we saw in the NCAA tournament at the end of last season, the way he turned it on and he could certainly be a guy that can score. And he's done that, you know, he, he's, he's, this is the team's best player, best scorer. And you touched on his rebounds. He has a chance to set a career high in rebounds He's well on his way in assists. He's doing more things, and with assists, it's you know, four point three right now. Two point four was his previous high. Steals are up nearly two a game. One point one was his high before. He touched on some shooting numbers, but he's just doing a lot more. And he has these. He's had a couple weeks this year was player of the week in the conference. He really turned it on. He had four straight games, twenty two or more points. And if people are just only tuned into the NBA game, 22 or more in college game, you're really scoring a lot. Yeah, yeah that's a lot of points, 36. 36- against Cornell, and he certainly was on fire in that game. But uh, the Virginia game, scoring 24 against the Virginia team and winning, that was a big performance. So he's got that next-level ability, and he's just kind of carrying this team, and he can score at different levels and get buckets going to the basket. Jim Lahren, I guess, talked about knowing how to draw plays for him. They have a great chemistry there. Um, And Isaiah just really seems to seize the moment. Tough one against Georgia Tech, but those kind of tough games don't happen often, have not happened throughout his career.
0: Yeah, we'll see if he can continue it here. This strong run in the ACC play. Seems like he's put himself in contention for potentially first-team All-ACC consideration. Again, plenty more games to go, but we'll see if he can crack that impressive type of team. Jordan Miller, um, he's leveled up this year in terms of scoring, in particular, up to 14.7 points per game, nearly 15, right, up from 10 points per game last year. Um, he's a guy that is important because he can do it all. I think defense rebound assist this year, he can score a little more. What What are your thoughts on Jordan Miller and his, his important role for this team?
1: I think just listening to coach talk about him his teammates. And I kind of agree in the sense that Jordan can't shoot enough. You know, he could always shoot more. He can't be more involved. You know, he could always get Uh, what I'm saying is the more he gets, I think the better this team is. I I think – Whatever that might be, if it's even his leadership, I, I think he's a guy that's a good leader. I think even if he talked more, I think that anything more with Jordan helps this team out tremendously. And, and you touched on these guys; they've got these four guys that can get up shots. But I think when Jordan's clicking and and, and kind of doing everything he can do, whether it's driving to the basket, coming from the wing, the tip-ins offensively uh, are, are important. Rebounding on the defensive ends, the way he's able to switch and knock down threes. You know, he's, he's shooting a little bit better than he did a year ago from three, and that's a good sign. So again, we talked about navigating through a season. Jordan knows what it's take. Jordan knows what it takes here. This is year five in college, year two at Miami, and they won a lot of games last year with Jordan. And yeah, he's just better than a year ago. He just has a a better feel for it. Got off to a better start this year. And I think he's going to be very important throughout this ACC schedule. He could just, like you mentioned, he could do a lot of different things They use him defensively to kind of move around a lot Um, and and getting rebounds is certainly big for a team that doesn't have, that doesn't go with a, a huge lineup.
0: Rounding out this impressive top four, you got a couple of transfers. Uh, Norchat, Omer, and Nigel Pack. Um, let's start with Norchat, who's you know power forward. He's Miami's big, but he's six seven two thirty. Transfers in from Arkansas State, scoring nearly four, scoring fourteen a game, averaging nearly ten rebounds per game, shooting sixty one percent from the field. Energy guy. Um, I know when uh, you know before the season. I did wonder, okay, this guy got it done at Arkansas State, can he do it at this level, at this ACC level? And the little bit of Miami that I've watched to this point, he definitely can get it done at this ACC level. What has stood out to you about Norchad to this point?
1: Yeah, it wasn't just that he, you know, making that transition. When he did have those those few small sample games against, our, at, while at Arkansas State against those high level those Power Five conference teams, he really struggled. You know, Illinois. There, I'll go through. I've been through the list before, but the the again small sample size, but it did not look good for Omir in those times, and he certainly has rose to the occasion. And I think what what you're seeing is. Teams have to adjust to Omer. You know, they've got to be able to defend him. You know, I think we talked so much about his size and him guarding other guys, but look, he's he's a force down there for other teams. You know, yeah. he can score, uh, he has his great jumping ability, a great rebounder on both ends of the court. People got to figure out how to defend him. And the the importance of Omer, and, and I know this is going to be talked about, it, it's been talked about, and, and it will continue to be is his foul trouble, being on the court. Um, not only is he much better than the other bigs on the team. But right now he, going into this, this 16th game of the season, he leads the team in plus minus. Uh, he does not lead the team in, in minutes played, but plus minus throughout the whole season, he's well ahead of, of second place Wong. So that just kind of shows his important on the court on both ends, but I like him, the energy he seems to know his role and, and he'll kind of clean it up um, and get buckets when, when he can scores in double figures nearly every game.
0: Nigel pack uh six foot, point guard type of player, uh, more of a sniper, I guess is how I would describe him when he's at his best from what I can see transfers in from Kansas state averaging 12 points per game. Seem like, seems like he's kind of get taking some time to get going in terms of the numbers from Kansas state transferring over to Miami. But we saw some flashes against Notre Dame where he had a nice showing, uh, in terms of showing what he could do from a shooting perspective what is your thoughts on nigel to this point in the season
1: i would i would be surprised if nigel continues at these numbers the rest of the yeah. season i think he's got a chance to really turn it up you know and, and you go with sample size yes it's a new conference and teams and transfers across the country does take him time we saw it last year with a couple high level guards you know, in particular marcus Carr going to texas and, and you know and Also, too, with Remy Martin going to KU, those are two high-level guards that that struggled even though they were at high conferences. You know, kind of with Nigel, uh, coming into a three-point shooting, he he shot over 40% each of his first two seasons. Big sample size, over 350 attempts, and right now he's shooting 34%, which is good. You know, you you take that from a guard, but I think he's got a chance. I'm not going to say he's going to hit 43 like he did a a year ago, but – I think he's got some three-point shooting in him, and I I think sometimes maybe with what we're watching right now, maybe it's not uh, been all there for Nigel, but this is a guy that dropped 35 against KU, and Miami fans should know all about KU's team last year, win the title and knocking them out of the tournament, And, and Nigel lit him up, and Nigel's got that in him, and I think he's as he gets more comfortable. And the thing with Nigel that makes this even more intriguing for him, he he is not the spotlight player on the team. So he can kind of settle back and, and pick his spots and get his shots up. Isaiah is the, the focal point of the offense. And I think Nigel's got some yeah. big games coming in him. We saw him recently, you know, kind of lit up with five three-pointers against Notre Dame, came up big with 21 points. And I think you're going to see more of that, that as opposed to these games where he's in single digits. So Nigel's important. Um, once again, the guy that could – that can hit threes and it's a th- team that needs to shoot threes better than they've done so far.
0: How about the rest of the team? You know, obviously we talked about top four, but five and then going into the bench, um, you know, in games, foul trouble is always going to happen uh, in some games in tight games. You're going to have to dip into your bench eventually. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Miami's bench and rotational guys? You touched about it with, you know, maybe having some concerns about, the bigs. So let's start there. Nor Chad O'Meer, uh needs to tighten up the foul issues. What does is Miami have in terms of bigs coming off the bench? And what are your it, thoughts on that situation?
1: Yeah, it's three guys off the bench that they're, they're going to use. And it's really just two between Anthony Walker and A.J. Casey. A.J. Casey's a freshman that if you haven't seen him yet, you're going to see him in snippets, you know, getting about nine minutes, eight minutes a game But he's he's the future of this program. I think I think he's going to be that level of player. So what's interesting with those two very similar and playing that four spot, you know, playing the five in in Miami's uh, lineups. And and Casey's, you know, from the last twelve games of those twelve, eight of those games he's gotten more minutes than Walker. Walker's just not playing at a high enough level. Really struggling offensively, shooting the ball. But they're going to kind of rotate those two guys in there. Uh, both kind of different guys, six, eight, two hundred, about you know, kind of just similar body shapes, but and then favor RA, a freshman seven footer that they play a couple minutes if they need to. But uh, yeah, I, I think in general with the bench, coach mentioned it, they want to get more scoring, and you always want more scoring off the bench. It's tough to do at times, but I'm looking kind of looking at Casey you know, his minutes were going up, but last game, you know, five minutes and it was a minus 13 and that just can't happen. You know, when you get in there, you've got to be productive. You're not, you're probably not going to score a bunch of points, but when you're on there, you can't uh, have a minus 13. That's not a good game for a Casey. Um, obviously a lot of things go into plus minus, but you'd like for them to be productive, but, but, you know, with, with the bigs, we could talk about the the guards too, but that, that's kind of how it s- sets up in the front court there.
0: Yeah, how about the ball handlers slash wings? Um, you know, Miami has good starters there. How's the bench look?
1: Yeah, so Wugel Poplar is that fifth starter. Um, and his minutes are about 20 minutes a game. And he kind of been rotating in with Bensley Joseph and Harlem Beverly, but mainly with Benley, Bensley off the bench. And coach refers to him as a sixth starter. And what we saw last game, he's not afraid to go with Joseph for heavy minutes. You know, coming out of the second half, he decides to go with Bensley Joseph over poplar. You just don't see that very often in basketball. Typically your five stars to start the game typically start the second half, but they went with Joseph and and he's a point guard that that gives Miami a different look, a lefty that can shoot threes, defend a little bit, has some nice athleticism. He made the move and and it worked out both well for both guys, even though Miami came up short Poplar does go back in and plays well and, and didn't seem to be bothered in a negative way with the, with not coming out of the second half. But those two guys are important. Harlan Beverly's has given him about 10 minutes a game as well. Defensively, kind of a matchup guy that Laranega likes to use with him. So watch, you know, Joseph and Beverly, particularly some matchup stuff. They've done a good job of other teams' guards getting off in the first half and finding ways to make adjustments at halftime with those two guys off the bench in particular to, to really put the clamps down. So that'll, that'll be big. They kind of just play their roles, and that's the big thing with this bench. Yes, coach wants to get them to get more scoring, but – if they're playing their roles and, you know, that plus minus is steady. I think that's what the, you can expect from the bench here. Every
0: team has its strengths and has its weaknesses and basketball is a game where matchups really do matter. Uh, when you look at Miami, what type of team do you feel like can give Miami props? It doesn't have to be a specific team, but just uh, the way a team could be constructed to uh, take advantage of maybe Miami's weak points.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question and a topic. I think a lot of it just comes down to how Miami plays. Um, with what we saw against Georgia Tech, you wouldn't go into that thinking, "Oh, Georgia Tech is going to give them a lot of problems." Now they do run that one-three-one zone. Uh, they, you know, kind of got Miami off guard a little bit, but Miami just didn't shoot the ball well. Thirty-five percent season low. You know, they just didn't shoot the ball well in that game. Uh, If other teams are able to keep Miami down offensively, it's going to be tough. I I think to me, it was a game, kind of a one-off game where they just didn't shoot it well. You know, I'm looking defensively. Uh, I find this team very interesting. Offensively, numbers are good, top 20 and some analytics stuff. And they're 100th defensively. And just right now, uh, ninth in ACC in defensive efficiency for the season. However, they're second in conference games. What do you make of that? Is, is it more towards the top? Is it more towards the bottom middle? It's, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they're close to second, but, you know, it, that's going to be a big part. And it, obviously, if you're, if Miami's playing, they're going to continue to play their small lineup, but teams are, you know, it's not as easy just to take advantage of your size. We saw it last year with some things that went on in the tournament. Uh, Duke's got some size there in the front court. They're still figuring things out, obviously coming off a tough game, but Yeah, I don't think you can necessarily say there's a particular style. I think it's a game-by-game basis, and Miami just has to play well and play to its strengths. And if not, I mean, any of these teams, as we saw against Georgia Tech, can beat them. Boston College hasn't had a great season so far, 8-8. and However, Coach calls them the most physical team in the conference, and that will be a challenge, even though Miami's playing at home, expected to win, and double digits, you know, that kind of thing. But if they're not able to handle that style, uh, they won't win that game. So I think it's just kind of a game-to-game basis with how this shakes out. And uh, again, just keep an eye defensively. If Miami's still able to to do what they want to do, which is create turnovers, really get out and run. Uh, if they're not able to create turnovers, it does make it more difficult. And obviously with Omir, if he gets into foul trouble, that makes it more difficult to, too, uh, as well.
0: Let's get out of here on this. Uh, just Miami's still a lot of basketball to be played, but Miami's place right now within the ACC this season, you got Virginia, When I looked at the rankings, I think Virginia is the top-ranked ACC team right now at number 13. Again, Miami's number 16. Duke is number 24. I believe that's the only three-ranked ACC teams at the moment. Um, How do you view the conference this year slash Miami's place within the conference?
1: Yeah, it's interesting so far. And you mentioned those three-ranked teams and Miami lost. And kind of a reminder to people, Virginia and Duke lost as well. You know, Clemson and Pittsburgh have been surprises early on. You know, one thing to keep in mind, the last three years in the ACC, the winning team, the winning title team for the regular season had four losses. So if you're looking at some numbers, kind of projecting that out and the year before in 2019, uh, it was Virginia had two losses and that was their national championship 35 win team. So kind of four or five, if you're looking at it, I, I think kind of staying in that mark. You know, Pittsburgh and Clemson were, were not expected to do well this year and they, they've surprised. But if you look at these other three other three teams, I, I think you really want to keep an eye on Virginia, Duke and North Carolina. North Carolina has been uh, very interesting preseason number one ranked team in the country coming off that national championship game appearance. 11 and 5 so far, 3 and 2 in the conference. If they're able to get on a roll, I think they can present a lot of problems for Miami and for a lot of teams, but they're kind of working through some things as well. I think Miami's in that top group, picked to finish fourth in the conference going into the season. I think they're right there with these teams. I think with Virginia, Duke, and North Carolina, those are the other three, and they were picked ahead of them. I think Miami's right in that group. And the way you're seeing it now, North Carolina has not been the dominant team people expected. Duke's, like I said, still working through things. Uh, On their end, and then Virginia, Miami's popped Virginia, and and Virginia uh, still a good team, you know. But offensively, you're always wondering what they're going to be. And then Clemson and Pittsburgh, five and zero for Clemson, Pittsburgh four and one at this point. You don't know what to make of it at this point if they're going to continue to have one of these types of seasons that were unexpected, but certainly that they're in the mix as well. And to answer your question in short, Miami's in the mix, has a chance to win their second ACC title crown first since. 2013 so we'll see again it's all about navigating through the season play into your strengths and Miami does has plenty of strengths that other ACC teams are well aware of
0: great stuff again it's time to start paying attention to a fun good Miami Hurricanes basketball team Miami's next game they play at home uh this Wednesday against Boston College tip-off slated for 7 p.m. uh come out to the game show support if you're local Uh, If not, check the game out on ESPNU. Read Chris's excellent work on Inside the U. Watch his videos on the Inside the U YouTube page. Again, time to get excited about a good Miami Hurricanes basketball team again. And enjoy the ride. Uh, So we'll get out of there on this. Again, appreciate all our sponsors. Uh, LT Pro Enterprises for your staffing needs. Midway Sports for your sporting goods needs. Pride Financial to get your financial life in order and the Star Horton Group for your South Florida real estate needs. Till next time, take care.